God is good? All the time? There is uh, traditions that go across the Baptist life all over the world, the Christian life all over the world. And uh, uh, that doesn't mean we're we're necessarily, I, I remind people home that it, it's not better or worse, it's just different. And I, I have to stand here in this pulpit and tell you that you're different. Uh, you talk funny. <laughs> Isabel and I have the privilege of traveling around the, uh, around the world, and God's given us uh, that wonderful privilege. In fact, most of the time when I preach, I'm preaching through a translator. And if that is necessary here, I am glad to try to solicit someone to translate from my Georgian to your English. You know, the United States and Canada are two countries separated by a common language. Uh, we are, uh, so, so I will talk, I'll talk slower, and because of that, maybe you can listen slower and we can communicate uh, very well. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters of the First Baptist Church of Jonesboro in Atlanta, Georgia. Pastor, I bring you personal greetings from our senior pastor, Dr. Mel Blackaby. And uh, I bring you all greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are delighted, Isabel and I are delighted to, uh, to be here. Uh, traditions are different. Many things are the same. At our, at our church, uh, we sing many of the same songs that you've sung. We receive an offering as an act of worship. We have times of prayer. We have times of, of, uh, of scripture reading. So it's not better or worse. Like I said, it's just different. And one of the things that's different uh, in, uh, in our tradition is in our church, which is 195 years old. We've been around for a little while. I was not a founding pastor. In, in our tradition, we have two flags that hang uh, or that are on stands in, in our sanctuary. Uh, one is the international flag of the Christian church. You know that flag, the white flag with the blue uh, ensign with the red cross on it? Okay, this is yes, this is no. You know that flag? Okay, that hangs in our church. Uh, the other is the flag of our nation. Uh, however, today, there's a third flag hanging in our church, and that's the flag of Canada. Uh, it hangs in our sanctuary to remind us to do exactly what you've been doing this morning, and that is to pray for you. Uh, our, our goal is to see Jesus Christ honored and God glorified uh, around the world, and it's our privilege to have that, uh, that most important place that we can do in partnering for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is on our knees with our hearts bowed, giving God the glory. Uh, there's another tradition that may be a little bit different, and uh, I'm going to ask you if you would allow me to bring that tradition to you uh, and ask that you would join us in that tradition. We begin our sermon time with the reading of God's holy word. And out of respect to the word of God and to the God of the word, when the gospel, when the, when the scripture is written, is read in our, in our culture, in our traditions, we stand out of, the honor, uh, out of honor to the Bible. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read uh, from Matthew chapter 28, uh, perhaps a very popular, a very common scripture well known to you, Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. You may be seated and may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. I'm convinced of several things. One of the things that, uh, for which I am convinced is that, the, is that the disciples of Jesus Christ are the same around the world. Uh, I've had the privilege of ministering the gospel in about 30 different countries around the world. And I've been in a lot of different cultures. I've eaten a lot of different food. I've been in a lot of different types of dress. We've had a lot of different ways of worshiping, some in beautiful buildings like this, uh, some in not so uh, comfortable facilities. Uh, but one of the things that I have come to be convicted of in, know, in meeting Christians from around the world is that, is that the disciples of Jesus Christ here and around the world are not so very different. And one of the other things that I'm convinced of is that the disciples of Christ in this generation are not that different than the disciples of Jesus when he was walking on the earth. Uh, those original disciples really had a lot more in common. We have a lot more in common with, him, with them than perhaps we think we do. They were ordinary, common people. Pastor, can I move? Okay, thank you. They're, they're, they're much more, they were uh, much more common people, ordinary folks. They were businessmen. They were government employees. Uh, they were uh, craftsmen. They were uh, workers. They were fishermen. They were, they were normal, ordinary people, just like I, I bet the people in this room are ordinary, common folks. The difference was, and the, the similarity was, they knew Jesus Christ. And they had committed themselves to following him. They had they begun serving him as Lord, as, as, and they began learning more about what it meant to follow him, and their lives were growing in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. His disciples of that day are not so different than, than his disciples of this day, because you who name the name of Jesus, you who serve the Lord Christ, you who have come to the place in your life where you have confessed your sins and accept the forg- accepted the forgiveness of Christ into your life, where his Holy Spirit has come and indwelt you and is working in your life to make you full and mature followers of Jesus Christ, you who are disciples today have that same path to walk as the, as the disciples of his day. Because of that, I think the, the lessons that, G, that we learned from his disciples 2,000 years ago are the same lessons we can learn today. Thus, the Bible is relevant. Uh, the Bible is very timely, and I believe the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today uh, is very important for us to understand. Let's look at some of the, what's, what's going on in Scripture. Let's look at what happened in his day and see if that doesn't apply to us. The first thing that we note is these are his disciples. The scripture is speaking to his disciples. In verse 16, it's very clear that we're talking about the 11 disciples. Now, that's the 12 minus Iscariot, who is no longer with them. These 11 disciples. These 11 disciples knew the name of Jesus. For three years, they had walked alongside Jesus. They had seen the miracles. They had watched, it, they had watched him uh, interact with the Father. They had heard his prayers. They had seen him touch the sick. They had seen him do all types of miracles. They had listened to him. They had seen him in times of great joy. They had seen him weep when his heart was broken. They had walked with Jesus. I dare say there are disciples in this room. 
who have for the same, in, in the same way walked with Christ. You have seen him do miracles in your life. You have heard him teach you in your life. You have had the Holy Spirit convict you of those sins. You have been in times where your hearts have been broken, and Jesus came right there beside you just as he did those disciples. The disciples of his day and the disciples of this day are really not so very different. Let me continue that. Look at what happened in our scripture, what happened to his disciples. His 11 disciples went to Galilee as Jesus had appointed them. Let me take you back for those of you who may just now begin uh, your walk with with Holy Scripture and your walk with Christ. Uh, When Jesus came out of the grave, women came to him and he gave them certain instructions. One of the the primary piece of instruction he gave to Mary was to go back to his disciples and tell them to go to Galilee and meet him there. So here were the disciples who had received the message from the risen Redeemer to go to Galilee. And we find them in Galilee just as Christ had appointed for them, just as he had instructed them to do. As best they understood, they were obeying Jesus. They were doing exactly what he told them to do. By the way, Jesus had a plan for them. He appointed it for them. He sent them there. They went there to obey him. And I bet there are those in this room today who, as best you understand what God's talking you to do, as best you understand in your walk with Jesus Christ, as best you can understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, as best you can understand what the Bible is revealing to you and what the, what the Scripture is telling you to do, you are obeying Him. Uh, for one thing, you're in this room, and that's a good thing. God wants you here. Not only are you in the right place, but you are at the place where God, where Jesus has appointed for you to be. Just like those disciples were in Galilee, as they were appointed, you are in this place as he appointed. Just as they were obeying God in your personal life, in your personal walk, as best you understand it, there are those in this room who are obeying God. You see, his disciples in that day and his disciples in this day were not so very different. When they came to the place that Jesus had appointed for them, when they came to Galilee, to the mountain that he told them to go, where he told them to go, when they arrived there, they saw Jesus. He revealed himself. The one who had been dead was now alive, and he revealed himself to his disciples. This was not the first time they saw Jesus. They had seen him many times. In fact, this was not the first time they had seen Jesus since his resurrection. He had already spoken to them. He had been with them. He had had meals with them. He had given them instructions. In fact, he had already met with them once and told them that they were, go, they were to go. It's recorded in Mark's gospel. They were to go and preach the gospel to all the creation. He had already met with them. He had already given them a commission. He had already given them direction they but here when they came for this worship for this time in Galilee the scripture says they saw Jesus now for some of you today when you came here today you've seen Jesus Uh, you have opened your heart to him you have opened your mind to him you have revealed yourself to him you've confessed your sin to him and you have opened your eyes and you've seen Jesus He's already revealed himself to you. His disciples of that day, his disciples of this day are not so very different. And the scripture goes on to tell, here were his disciples, followers of Jesus. They were where they were supposed to be. They were obeying God as best they understood it. They saw Jesus. And the scripture tells us what happened next. If you, if you look down in, in the scripture in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. 
Now, this is a very specific word uh, for worship. It is, uh, it is a word which indicates when they came into his presence, they fell on their knees and put their face to the ground. That's a very Eastern uh, Asian type of worship service. There are many Christians today, many people today, when they come to worship, they will fall on their knees and they will put their face to the ground as an act of uh, contrition to God, as an act of acknowledging that He is God. This is that same type of worship that happened in that day. The scripture says they saw Jesus and they worshiped him. Now that word was used in other places. In fact, later on, we're going to see that the Gentiles, that that lost people saw Paul and and Silas. And the scripture says that they fell down and worshiped them. And immediately Paul and Silas lifted them up and said, don't do that. It happened to Peter. People fell down in front of him and Peter lifted up and said, don't do that because we're just men. We're not gods. Don't worship us as though we are God. But here Jesus received their worship. In this scripture, he did not say, don't give me the worship due only to the Father, but rather he accepted it. They worshiped him. Now, for some of you this morning, you've come into this place. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You, as best you, best you understand, you obeyed him. You came to where you're supposed to be. You saw Jesus and you have worshiped him. When we stand, when we stood and, and sang, when the instruments played, when our hearts reached out and we thought about those words we were singing, we were in his presence and we were giving glory to God. When the prayers were ushered, were offered, we were praying with God, we were praying with the, with the person leading those prayers, and we came into the presence of God and we acknowledged him as God. We worshiped him. All of that is exactly the way it should be. You see, the disciples of his day and the disciples of our day are not so very different. It's the next phrase that confounded me. For I had read the scripture many, many, many times over and over and over again. But when I finally read that and saw that next phrase, I was completely halted. I had to stop and reconsider what in the world was going on. If you kept your Bibles open, the scripture says this. Then the... then. The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. You see the next phrase? But some doubted. I, I, I struggled with that. What in the world could that mean? These were his disciples. Many of you who have walked with Christ, who have studied the Bible, could name these 11 disciples by name. I would do it right now, except I would forget one or two, because then you'd think I wasn't really the idiot that I am. But many of you who are much smarter than I am can name those 11 disciples. These were these disciples, not the ones who lived on the periphery, not those who ventured in and out, not those who sat on the mountain and ate the food and then abandoned Christ. These were the 11 disciples who were doubting. I'm struggling to ask myself, what did they doubt? Is it possible that they doubted that Jesus had power to heal. 
I don't think they could have doubted that Jesus had power to heal. They had watched him give sight to the blind man, many blind men. They had watched him reach out and take the leper and, and take the lame man's hand and, and stand him up. That had happened again and again. I don't think they doubted his ability to heal. They, they had been with him when the, the, the sick woman who had been so sick for so many years just simply touched his clothes and, and they were, and, and she was, she was healed. They had been there for that. I can't believe that his disciples who had worshipped him, doubted that Jesus had the ability to heal. I can't believe that they, had, that they questioned Jesus' ability over, over nature. They had been in the boat. Uh, when the storm came up, they had awakened Jesus, and he spoke to the storm and waved his hand at the wind and at the waves, and, and a rough sea, a stormy sea, all of a sudden became calm. They had seen that. They had been in the boat another time when they had watched Jesus walking on top of the water and it was not frozen. Walking on, okay, I don't do the jokes. Y'all are not with me today. They had watched Jesus walking on top of the water without sinking, which breaks all of the laws of nature. By the way, the guy who writes the laws is available to break the laws. Uh, he, he was walking on the water. I can't believe his disciples of that day doubted his authority over nature. He had the power to change that. You know, I don't think that they even doubted his, his authority over life and death. I don't believe that's what it was. Because they had been there when he had raised Jairus' daughter. They had been there when he had spoken and, and, uh, and, and the life came back into Lazarus. They had heard him call Lazarus out of the tomb and watched him levitate, float out of that cave. And had to, had, had to have uh, other people come and unbind him. He was mummified, take the grave clothes off of him so he could walk away. They had seen Jesus do that miracle. These men could not have doubted that Jesus had the authority over life and death. In fact, the mere fact, the, the mere thing that they were standing in front of Jesus, who had been dead and now was alive, removes any question that they would have thought he had authority over life and death. What did they doubt? Well, I think his disciples of that day and his disciples of this day are really not so very different. I think we doubt this exact same thing. Because there are those in this room who do not doubt that Jesus has the authority over our health. And that Jesus can speak to, to, to illness. That Jesus can, can make us well. He can break. He, he can change what the doctors have said is hopeless into a very hopeful situation. He can reach down and by the power of his touch change lives physically. I don't believe that we, believe, that we think Jesus doesn't have the authority over, over our health. I don't believe that we think Jesus doesn't have the authority over nature. Or that he doesn't have authority over life and death. I think we still believe those kind of things. And if we therefore are no different than his disciples of that day, what do we doubt? Now, I need you to be honest with God. You don't have to be honest with me because he already knows that you're a liar. You need to be honest with God. There are times in your walk with God that doubting comes into your your life. You might as well admit it because he already knows it. Here's what the disciples doubted. You see, Jesus loves you very much. Uh, God does not want you to be doubting. 
God wants you to be one who believes. In fact, many times I find myself praying with the man who came to Jesus asking for help for his daughter. And uh, Jesus asked him, do you believe? And the man replied, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that a powerful prayer? There are times where I come and perhaps I am doubting. I don't want to be doubting. I want to be believing and, and trusting. So what did they doubt? Same thing that we doubted. Jesus does not want you to doubt. And therefore, and Jesus did not want his disciples to doubt. Therefore, I believe what he says next is a direct response to his disciples doubting. You see, he had already given them the command. I'd mentioned it in Mark's gospel. He had already given them the command to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That command existed. What they doubted was that he had the authority to use them. Here were ordinary people given an extraordinary assignment. Here were ordinary folks. They were government employees. They were professional people. They were laborers. They were craftsmen. They were ordinary people. And Jesus told them to go and change their world. Their doubt was not about God. Their doubt was, could God use me? Could God change the world through me? Now, l- let me just say real quickly that that type of doubt says more about what you believe about God than it does what you believe about yourself. If you are doubting that God can use you to change your world, that is not a question about, that is not self that, that is not self-humility. That is, is, is not false, uh, false humility. That is you saying that your God is insufficient to do what he wants to do. Now, I think if we look at it in that fashion, none of us is going is wanting to say, my God is incapable of fulfilling his plan. My God is incapable of doing what he wants to do. My God is incapable of using me to do what he has called me to do. If the Holy Spirit of the living God has come, into your, has come to you and has called you into a specific task, he is capable of completing that task. No matter what your background, no matter what your sin, no matter how bad you have been, when the Holy Spirit of the living God comes into your life, comes to your life and convicts you of your sin, and you feel called of God to repent of your sin and to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has, he is capable, he is capable of forgiving you of your sin and restoring you to the place of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of whether you're good enough. It's not a matter of whether you have enough faith. It's not a matter of whether you're talented enough. It's not a matter of whether you're smart enough. It's a matter of whether God is who he says he is. One of the most amazing things that I have discovered is that Christians, people who name the name of Jesus Christ, born-again believers in, in Christ, those who have had new birth experiences, those who have an ongoing, relation, growing relationship with Jesus. Christians, you define it however you want to, but those who really know Jesus are willing and able to trust the most important thing in their life to him. They will trust him with their eternity. You will too. You trust that when Jesus said that my grace is sufficient for you, you trust that his grace is sufficient for you. You trust that because you have confessed your sins and Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and he's come into your life, that when you die, you will go to heaven. Can I get a witness? 
You trust him to do that. With all of your heart, you believe that if God was to come into this place right now and something were to happen and everybody in this room, every Christian in this room die, immediately we would stand in the presence of God. A deacon would have said amen. You believe that with all of your heart and you trust him with all of your heart. If you can trust him with the most important thing of your life, why is it so hard for you to trust him with your health? Why is it so hard for you to trust him with your finances? Why is it so hard for you to trust him with your children? Why is it so hard for you to trust him when he asks you to pray, when he asks you to read his word, when he asks you to do the little things? If you can trust him with the most important thing, why can you not trust him with your daily life? Some of you right now today are in the midst of storms. And let me tell you, Jesus still walks on the water. Jesus still speaks to the waves. Jesus still moves his hands to the storm. Jesus is still active in the storm. Isabel and I have, uh, have two daughters. Uh, they're not young anymore. Well, they would say they are. They're 38 and 40. Is that right, honey? They're 38 and 40 years old. They're not, they're not little girls. In fact, they have children of their own. We have eight grandchildren ages 9 to 18 months. Those of you who don't have grandchildren, you don't know what I'm talking about. But those of you who do, can you say amen? It changes your life. We go to Texas to visit our grandchildren and happen to bump into our children. (laughs) But when they were little, when uh, Samantha is our older daughter, and uh, she's 40. But when she was about four years old, and her younger sister uh, was about two we accepted a new church, and we moved from a, uh, a, what we call it a parsonage. I don't know if you use that word here, but it's where the preacher lives. Uh, we moved from a parsonage in, in one state to, to Texas uh, into a brand new parsonage. Now, now, for those of you who have never been to Texas, that's God's country. <laughs> I go, amen, hallelujah. God bless Texas. With his own hand, he brought down angels from the promised land. We moved to Texas. Now, if you don't know anything about, where, where, about Texas, where we lived in Texas was flat. You can stand on the back porch and see for three days. There's nothing between our house and Manitoba but three barbed wire fences. You can see forever. And the storms where we live rolled in. They, they calendared them. They were on our schedule. We knew when they were coming days in advance. They would tell you there's a northerner coming. There's a storm coming. You could watch it out in the distance as it would get dark in the north and start moving down, moving down closer. And, and, the, and the storm storm was coming. The first night we were in the new house. Those of you who have two-year-old and four-year-old children, you know how important routines are at night, right? Amen? You know how, this is yes, you know how important routines are for those children. They, and, and so we were, we were coming in our first night in this new house. Our little girls were going to be their first night in new bedrooms. Uh, you know, everything had changed for them. They were going to be brand, and we were already concerned about that. So what's going to happen? Storm's coming in. The storms are going to, going to roll down, and they should get there well after dark. And, uh, and it, we were very, Isabel and I were very much afraid it was going to be a scary, scary night, a very hard night for our, for our daughters, especially for our four-year-old Samantha. And so we did uh, what we would normally do. We talked to her, and we told her the storm was going to come, and she didn't need to be scared of it, and God was going to take care of her. And Mommy and Daddy were right in the next room, and, and it was going to be 
going to be fine. And so we did what we did. We went through the routines. We kissed her. We put her in her bed and went into the other part of the house, and hopefully she was going to sleep. And, and in the distance, we heard the remote rumblings of thunder, and it would get closer and closer and closer until... Do y'all have thunderstorms here? Kind of. Have you ever had it where the lightning flashes and the thunder happens at exactly the same time, and your house does... This is the Baptist sign for shake. Does that? Well, this, this huge thunderclap, it, it just exploded around our house. Well, the house didn't explode, but it was, it was really loud. And Isabel and I looked at each other, and then we heard that sound that everybody in here can identify with. If you've ever heard a four-year-old girl scream at the top of their lungs, you know, it just goes right through you. Well, when it's your own daughter, it really affects you. So we jump up and run to the room, and uh, I get to the room, to the doorway of the room, and I see my four-year-old precious little girl standing on her bed, looking out the window, screaming, jumping up and down, clapping her hands, saying, do it again, God, do it again. (laughs) She trusted God with things she didn't understand. There are storms in your life. The thunder's happening, the lightning's flashing, the wind is blowing. Even when you don't understand it, God is still in control. God is still there. And when we learn that we can have faith in God and we can trust Him, we can look at the storms in our lives and say, Do it again, God. Do it again. Because you know that he has authority over nature. He has authority over your life. If you trust him with your eternal life, then why can you not trust him with your everyday life? So here was their assignment. They were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you know his disciples of this day are not so different than the disciples of that day? And the commission that he gave to his disciples then... Is the same commission he gives to us. We've been told to do something that we cannot do. There's there's certain lies that Christians believe. And one of the popular lies that uh, I hear often and have corrected in lovingly those on on, uh, other pastors who, who say this next phrase, often in times of wanting to be comforting, uh, I hear it a lot when tragedy occurs. And they'll walk up to somebody who is hurting, whose, lot, whose heart is broken, maybe at a death or bad news or, or struggles that's going on in their lives. And they'll take them by their hands or put their arm around them. And they will say something like this, you know, God will never give you more than you can endure. Let me set you free. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God will always give you more than you can endure. If you could endure it, you wouldn't need him. If you could pay for your own sin, you wouldn't need him. If you had the strength to endure everything in this life, you would not need him. God will do things in your life that you cannot endure. Praise the Lord. He does things in your life you cannot endure. In fact, uh, we were in our staff meeting, and uh, we were praying and uh, preparing for prayer, and, and somebody asked us to pray for this one particular family. And uh, uh, it was, uh, 
Uh, I'm on, you, you, there's no way you would know him, but they had recently, they had recently had a, uh, I think he was nine, seven, eight, nine-year-old son die from an asthma attack uh, as his daddy, who was a physician, uh, was trying to bring him back to life in the ambulance as they were trying to get to the hospital. Uh, tragic. They had uh, had another son, an older son, who had been arrested uh, for something that he had not done. They had illnesses come up. They had all these kind of uh, things that were going on around them. The, the mother had just been diagnosed with uh, a type of cancer. It was horrible. And uh, somebody was uh, in our group was mentioning this family, as we often do, and said, let's pray that these trials will stop. And our pastor in his wisdom stopped us and said, maybe God hasn't got them to the place that he needs them to be yet. And where that may sound cruel, let me reinforce that with you. Maybe, there something go- maybe there's something going on in your life right now. God hasn't quite got you to the place where you need to be, that you turn to him and trust him. He is sufficient. Jesus, here's the answer to, his, here, here's the answer to the disciples' doubt, and here's the answer to your doubt. All authority is given to me. Now, now I'm not going to say, forget what else he said, but now I'm going to say, forget what else he said. Because that was a reminder of what, he, of what he had already told them. What he wanted to do, what he wanted to say to those disciples in that day, and what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this day, all authority has been given to him. He has the authority to raise the dead. He has the authority to heal the sick. He has the authority to forgive sin. He has the authority to fill you with the Spirit. He has the authority to give you peace that passes all understanding. He has the authority to give you grace sufficient for every situation. He has the authority to stand and calm the storms in your life. He has the authority to call more storms in your life. All authority is given to him, and if you will trust him, with that authority and believe that he loves you and cares for you, then I can see you standing on the top of your bed, clapping your hands, saying, do it again, God, do it again.